Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to Untangling Emotions, Part 7. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, sit back, relax, and enjoy. We are in a series right now called Untangling Emotions. And this, today, is Part seven, part seven. And if you've missed any messages in this series, I would encourage you to to go back and to catch up. They're all online. But I want to say, if you could only, if you will only listen to one message, I think today's is the most important message. And I actually don't think that you can live a productive life without today's message. And so I'm so glad you're here. So Matthew 18 I got a short verse. Peter, he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. I wanna call our message today how to forgive, how to forgive. Come on, can we clap our hands one more time? You guys can take a seat in this space. Everyone doing all right today? Anyone excited to be in church today? Come on, my name is Harrison and I am just privileged to uh, be a pastor here at Kingdom Church. And uh, I want to share with you guys today, hopefully the screen behind me comes back to life. Looks like they're working hard back there. Uh, We lost the second half of the verse, but that's all right. So we are in week seven of our series called Untangling Emotions. And uh, originally when I plotted this series out, I thought it was going to be like four weeks. Uh, But here we are in week seven. Now, I never like to make guarantees or promises or anything like that. But like in the Bible, the number seven represents the number of completion. And the text that we just read has like the number seven all over it. And so I just feel like this is the absolute perfect number to finish our series on, part seven. But again, we'll see. Maybe the Lord will speak something and we'll come back next week. But I think this is the last message. And so uh, if you guys have been with us in this series, you will know that what we are trying to do is we are trying to get emotionally healthy. Anyone feel like they have a better grasp of their emotions after this series? Just a couple weeks being in it. Um, We have a thought that has guided us our entire series, and I feel like I would be remiss not to share it one more time as we kind of come to a close. It comes from Pete Cicero. Simply this, you cannot be spiritually healthy while remaining emotionally immature. Come on, slides. You cannot be spiritually healthy without remaining emotionally immature. Well, remaining emotionally immature. I'm just, there we go. Come on, somebody. Let's give it up. They back. And so 
we have a thought and we have kind of a word that we think that God has given our church for this next year. God is calling us deeper. And I think a lot of times when it comes to spirituality, we can think like, well, the best way to go deeper is to read my Bible more, to pray more, come to church more. And, and all of those things are great practices. I would not tell you not to do those things. But I also believe that if you read your Bible, if you pray, if you come to church, yet you remain emotionally unhealthy, you will only go so far in your walk with Jesus. And perhaps the reason for some of us, we feel like we're at a stall, we feel like we have peaked, is because we are emotionally unhealthy. And so, again, my hope is that this series has helped us become a little bit more emotionally healthy. If you're with us last week, Amy brought the word. Come on, somebody. And it was a pretty, I think, uh, timely and very... Uh, uh, practical word on comparison. And again, go check it out um, as this screen continues to have a demon behind me. <laughs> Two weeks ago, uh, I spoke a message and the message was called Daddy Issues. And you guys remember that message, any of us? Uh, it was, I think, a powerful message. There was tears, jeers, everything in between. Uh, and as the message finished, uh, as soon as I walked off the stage, someone came up to me and he just said, hey man, that was an amazing message. Because um, I talked about like, at the end, just making sure you forgive, right? You gotta forgive your fathers. And he's like, hey, great message. I love that. I wanna forgive. But like, how do you forgive? How do you forgive? And when he said that, I was like, that's a really great question. And so today, I wanna spend the entire message teaching us how to forgive. Because here is the truth. Everything that we have done in this series, all of the emotions we've untangled, be it guilt, shame, anxiety, everything in between, there's been some level of understanding. In order for us to move forward, we must forgive. And so I feel like I need to finish this series with a very practical message on how to forgive. And so my hope today is that I know that forgiveness is hard. How many guys know forgiveness is hard? It's hard, but I want to make the practical steps to forgive easy. It's not going to make the act of forgiveness easy, but it's going to make the steps, my hope is to make the steps simple. And so today, I kind of want to split the message into two parts. We're going to do two things. We're going to look at what happens when you don't forgive in other words, maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like I have forgiven, I feel like I'm super healthy, but as I go through this list and in a moment, uh, I kind of want us to check our hearts because perhaps you think you've forgiven, but you truly haven't. So the first thing we're going to look at is what it looks like when you don't forgive. And then the second half of the message is going to be how to forgive. So again, it's going to be simple. It's going to be practical. Any questions? Amazing, let's get going. So Hebrews chapter 12 is kind of where I want to start. This is where we're going to get the first half of our message and then we're going to slip to Matthew 18 later. So Hebrews chapter 12, this is what it says. Uh, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, if you're a Bible people that brings a Bible to church, man, I would highlight that part right there. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. So this is, this is a rich verse. Some will say rich. And so I need to, I really, I'm going to break this down. You guys can't just look at that whole thing because that's just too much. 
And so I want to break it down verse by verse, and then I kind of want to pull some things out, and I'm going to show you why this relates to forgiveness. So Paul says, or not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, some people think it's Paul. We don't know who the writer is. I personally don't think it's Paul, but it could be Paul. Anyways, short tangent. The writer of Hebrews is what we'll say. He says, verse 14 again, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Y'all don't like that part. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, holy is kind of like a, it's a Christian word, so maybe you don't know exactly what holiness means. Literally in the Bible, the word holy just means to be set apart. Something that is holy is something that is set apart. Even simpler, something that is holy is something that is different. Now, when it comes to what it means to be holy in relation to our, our walks with God, a lot of times we view holiness simply in terms of things that we don't do. In other words, a holy person is someone that doesn't swear. A holy person is someone that doesn't get drunk. A holy person is someone that doesn't do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. That is what it means to be holy. And for a lot of us, our picture of holiness is rooted directly with some level of passiveness. And what I mean by passiveness is that to be holy is to just not do something. But when we read Hebrews chapter 12, what I think is so interesting in verse 14 is that it starts by saying that we need to make every effort to live in peace with everyone. And then he connects that to being holy. And so in other words, what I want us to see, because the relation after, he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If we're kind of breaking down verse 14, what it basically says is this. It says, in order for me to make peace with people, like I, sorry, I have to make peace with people because that will lead to holiness. And my holiness will lead to a relationship with God. In other words, breaking it all back together, if I don't live in a constant state of pursuing peace with people, I'll never actually be holy. I'll never actually be different. I'll never actually be set apart. And unless I pursue holiness, I won't have a relationship with God. Can we go to the next slide? Because I got a little graphic for you guys to see that I want you to see. Peace with people leads to holiness. Holiness leads to a relationship with God. Now, what we're going to find out here in a moment, because you're like, okay, well, what does it mean to pursue peace? Like, what is he actually talking about? It's super simple. I'm going to show you in context. What he's talking about is forgiveness. What is the main way that I pursue peace with people? Listen, it is to forgive. Take this all together, and I want you to understand there are many ways to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. But I think one of the main ways that we are set apart, one of the main ways that we are different, one of the main ways that we are holy is when we forgive. This part should alert us. He says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I would phrase it, and I could say it like this, without forgiveness, we won't see the Lord. To be holy is to forgive. To be holy is to forgive. 
This whole message, I'm teaching us how to forgive, why we have to forgive. One of the main reasons we need to learn to forgive is because it is vital for our relationship and our standing with Jesus. So that's just verse 14. Some will say rich, that's rich. So verse 15, he says, look at this. He says, see to it then that no one falls short of the grace of God. Now, one Bible translator, he said, a better way to, to really parse this out would say, see to it that no one is failing to keep up with the grace of God. So when it tells us to pursue peace, how do we know he's talking about forgiveness? Because in the very next verse, he connects it to the grace of God. And the grace of God, if you do not know this, is rooted in the fact that God has forgiven you and I. And so what he says, he says the reason we pursue peace, the reason that we forgive is because we are trying not to fall short of the grace of God. But really what that means is we're actually trying to keep up with the grace of God. This is a crazy thought because you're like, wait a second, like, is, is God's grace really moving? Is it growing? The answer is yes. Why? Because you're moving and you're messing up. And so the more I mess up, the more God's grace actually grows. Paul puts it like this. He says, where sin abounds, where sin is great, where your screw-ups, where your mess-ups are great, it says God's grace is greater. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more so. Meaning every single time I mess up and I come back to Jesus, his grace is actually growing. And so our job, he says, as followers of Jesus is to keep up with his grace. Listen, why do I keep up with his grace? Because I need grace. And so I give grace. Why do I keep up with his forgiveness? I forgive because he's already forgiven. And I'm going I'm to get to that in a moment. And so there's this beautiful picture. When I take it all together, what it's saying is saying our job is to forgive. And the reason we forgive is because we are forgiven. And the reason that we forgive is because we are forgiven. And when we forgive, we will actually begin to come into a relationship with Jesus. We'll actually come into a rich and deep relationship. And so what do I need to do? What do I want us to do here today? Pretty simple. I want us to forgive. Now, all that is beautiful. All that's great. But it's like, Harrison, forgiveness is really hard. Anyone ever feel like forgiveness is really hard? Here's what I want to show us. Forgiveness is hard, but the disease that comes from unforgiveness is even worse. The disease is even worse. Look what he says, continuing. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So he says, the reason that we need to pursue peace, the reason we need to pursue forgiveness is because if we do not, if we're not on top of it, he says, something is going to begin to grow. Now, there is a lie that we believe, and the lie is simply this. Whether I forgive that person or not, it doesn't make a difference. Like Harrison, I get forgiveness, but what difference does it make whether I forgive? What difference does it make whether I let go or not? Like it doesn't matter. What I want you to understand is that forgiveness matters. 
Forgiveness matters because the disease that happens when we don't forgive is unforgiveness. And what he says, he says, unforgiveness begins to produce something. So look, he says, don't fall short so that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. In the Bible, and I'm kind of teaching here for a little bit, so I hope you guys are all following, taking notes. But in the Bible, there is a metaphor that he's used over and over again. And it is a picture of a tree. And oftentimes the Bible talks about us as this plant or this tree, as this thing that is rooted to Jesus. And there's this idea that when I am rooted in Christ, my life will begin to produce fruit. So the closer I get to Jesus, the more I come into communion with him, my life will begin to produce fruit, joy, peace, kindness, patience, love, self-control. If you've ever met someone that follows Jesus and you're like, how come that person is just so kind? Like, how come they're so loving? It's because they're connected to the source, which is Jesus. And all of a sudden, that stuff just shoots out like a superpower. I got love flowing out. I got peace flowing out. But I don't want us to miss this. Because a lot of times, it's like, well, if I'm not connected to Jesus, I'm not connected to anything. So it doesn't really matter. But what we see here in Hebrews is it, is it gives us an inverse of what it looks like to be not connected to Christ. And what we saw beforehand is that we cannot be connected to Christ while we're harboring unforgiveness. And so what will happen is that if we are harboring unforgiveness in our heart, instead of connecting to Christ, we will begin to connect to something different. And that is something called bitterness. It's bitterness. And he says, make sure no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. And so I want us to understand something and why forgiveness is so important. It's because if you are sitting here today and you are harboring unforgiveness, I may not know your story, but what I know for certain is that bitterness is growing inside of you. And so here's a fancy saying that I never want us to forget. A bitter root produces bitter fruit. I'm gonna say it again so it's in our spirit. A bitter root produces bitter fruit. So you can say to yourself, Harrison, I am so kind. I am so loving. I just don't forgive. It's not my thing. You don't cross me, but if I'm your friend, I will love you, but don't cross me. I got a list of people that cross me, but if I'm your friend, like I'm good. You met those people? Wrong. Because bitterness is living inside of them and a bitter root produces bitter fruit. And so what that means is whether you think to yourself, I have people in my life that I like and I don't like those who have crossed me, not crossed me. At the end of the day, if I am connected to bitterness, every single person in my life will eat the bitter fruit that is coming from my bitter root. Can I make it rhyme any better for y'all? <laughs> and I could, when I talk about bitterness, I know for a lot of us, it's probably someone that pops to our mind, right? <laughs> like, ooh, I know a bitter person, right? A lot of us is like, I've tasted that bitter fruit from that person. Like, they're just living with unforgiveness. But one of the things that we've said in this series, and it bears repeating, is that I believe that God has something specifically for each and every one of us. This message ain't for your neighbor. It's not for bitter Bruce. It's not for bitter Becky. It's for you. And so, if you're Bruce or Becky, love y'all. Um, just keeping the alliterations going here. So, and so I want to take a second because what I'm going to do here before I teach us how to forgive is I want to give us three signs of a bitter heart. 
And I want us to just, just pray for a moment. You just pray this in your head. Just say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see my own bitterness. Because I'm going to go through this list, and if you feel like this list speaks to you, that means perhaps there's some bitterness and some unforgiveness that you've been harboring. Luke chapter 6 says it like this. It says, a good man brings things out of the good stored up in his heart, but an evil man brings things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Look at this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so if my heart is full of bitterness, if my, my heart is full of resentment, unforgiveness, at the end of the day, it's coming out. It's coming out in relationships. It's coming out in friendships. It's coming out at work. Because the heart spews only what it's full of. So here are three results or three signs of a bitter heart. How do I know my heart is bitter? Number one, and I want you to write these down, all three of them, a bitter heart only looks inward. A bitter heart only looks inward. Look at this. The hurt heart has the inability to see things from any perspective other than their own. One of the ways that I know that bitterness has crept into my heart is I have a legitimate inability to see things from any other perspective other than my own. My life motto was pretty simple. It's my way or the highway. I have an inability to see things from other people's perspectives. Now, the issue with this is that in life, and I hope you have learned this by now. If not, I will teach you. Compassion, empathy, understanding is only built when we are able to see things from perspectives other than our own. If I have the inability to see only my perspective, my life will be filled with two things. Number one, it'll be filled with conflict because everywhere I go, you are one small moment away from not seeing things how I see them. And you better see my perspective. But number two, and because of that, you probably won't have very many deep friendships. The second thing, because you won't have deep friendships, your life will be surrounded and filled with people that don't actually like you, they just tolerate you. Because the truth is, you are next on the hit list. If you cross them, or if they cross you, if they don't see things how you see things. You see, I think I have a slide for it, yeah. Bitterness makes your perspective small and your opinion huge. This is, this is really big. How do I know that bitterness is in my heart? My perspective is small, my opinion is huge. That means is this, everything I see, every situation, that conflict in my marriage or that conflict at work or that conflict in my friend group, my perspective is so small. All I can see is the way that I see it and my opinion is huge, meaning no one else's opinion is valid. And what happens is this, and you guys have perhaps been there before because we're saying, Holy Spirit, check me, is that in conflicts or disagreements, we begin to create situations and circumstances. We begin to fill in the picture of the story. And we begin to speak in absolutes where it says like, oh man, these guys have always been against me. They've never been trustworthy. They must have been planning this for a long time. And everywhere I go, I'm on the midst of destruction because a bitter heart only looks inward. So how do I know my heart is bitter? Number one, a bitter heart only looks inward. Number two, what is the result of a bitter heart? A bitter heart is a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
A bitter heart is a self-fulfilling prophecy. What does this mean? Super simple. I want you to understand this. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. I'm going to say it again. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. What that means is this. I don't actually view the world by what's going around me. I view the world by what's going on in my heart. And the reason that bitterness becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy is because the more bitter I am, I will have no choice but to view the world through the lens of my own bitterness. And so what happens is if I am untrustworthy, every, if I don't trust people, I should say, every room that I enter into, I am viewing everyone through the lens that they will one day let me down, that they will one day betray me, that they will one day hurt me. If I am viewing the, the rooms I walk in through, through the lens of, well, people don't talk to me, everyone is just self-centered, everyone is about themselves, when I walk into that room, it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you'll begin to start telling yourself stories about people that are not actually true to them, but true to what you think is true. I'll give you guys an example. When I was um, a, a little bit younger, like when I, when I was growing up in church, um, the Lord didn't really change my life until I was 18 and give me a new heart and all that good stuff. And so I remember the church that I, I grew up in, um, when it came to like worship styles, it wasn't necessarily charismatic or anything like that, but there'd be like a few proud and select people that would stand up and worship while everyone else would sit down. And I remember I would look at these people um, and the thoughts that came to my head were like, man, these people just want attention. Like these guys are just faking it. There's no way they feel anything. You guys know what I'm talking about? But what I didn't realize is that I was not filtering life through their reality, but I was filtering it through mine. Because my perspective said I could never stand up. I could never worship. I could never raise my hands. And so these people must be inauthentic. You guys ever been there? I want to speak for a moment just about the hurts that we experience because I think we experience hurts in relationships. I think we experience hurts in, in friendships and I think we experience hurts in church. And what happens, this, this whole thing that I'm describing, it happens so often in relationships. Or maybe in your first relationship when you were younger, someone did something or someone said something and you never forgave that person. And so what happens when I move into my next relationship or when I get married, is that I actually don't have the ability to see my partner as they are. I see them through the lens of my previous partner. Do you guys know what I'm saying? And so what happens is my previous, my current partner, they, have, they don't know what's coming, but they're really just gonna be on the receiving end of all of the unforgiveness that I harbor in my heart. And this happens in relationship, it happens in church. I know for a lot of us in this room, perhaps in churches in the past, people have hurt you. Maybe it was in a small group, maybe it was serving on a team, but you've been hurt in some way. And I want to say, number one, I am sorry. I'm sorry for the people that have hurt us, the people that have let us down. But at the very end of the day, one of the things we've said in this series over and over again is that I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but it is my job to heal. It is my job to heal. And so listen, if you've been hurt by church in the past, you have one option, well, two options, I think one good option, but option number one is bitterness. And bitterness says no matter where I go, all I can do is view things through the lens of the past. Option number two is forgiveness. And forgiveness says I will not let my past 
be the storyline and be the script for my future. Because bitterness, as I said, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I want you to understand something. Church people are the kindest, friendliest, most loving, filled with the spirit people you will ever come in contact with. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. That is the truth. But if I don't forgive people that were supposed to be the most kind, loving people ever, I'll miss all of the amazing people God puts in my life because I don't view them as they are. I view them as I am. Does that make sense? When we say that bitterness is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Here's the third one. Bitterness is a prison sentence that we choose. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter seven. It's kind of a funny verse. Solomon, he says, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. Now Solomon, if you know his story, kind of had some woman issues. Um, But I think that this verse is applicable to both sexes. He says, more bitter than death is the one whose heart is a trap, whose hands are chained. Listen to this. Worse than death is to be in proximity with someone that is enslaved to bitterness. You've heard the saying, unforgiveness is the poison that we drink hoping the other person dies. One of the reasons we don't forgive is because we say, if I drink, if I, if I forgive, I'm letting them off the hook. If I forgive, they'll never know what they did to me. But at the very end of the day, when we don't forgive, we are the ones that suffer. And everyone else around us drinks our poison because the bitter root produces bitter fruit. And so what he's saying, he's saying literally worse. You're wondering, like, how come no one wants to be around me? How come no one calls me? How come perhaps we're harboring bitterness? And perhaps that bitterness is contagious. And so as I go through this list, what I'm really trying to get us to do is to examine and say to myself, is there some bitterness? Is there some unforgiveness that is harboring within me? Because here's the thing, and here's the truth. Our lives should be marked with forgiveness. You wanna know why? Because our lives are filled with offense. Now, hear me for a second. If you're always offended, like always offended, you're the problem. Did you hear me? If you're always offended, you're the problem. But all of us in this room at some point will get offended. Someone will offend us. That's the truth. Someone will hurt us. That's the truth. And the reason our lives need to be marked with forgiveness is because there's something crazy about the way that our minds work. And you guys all know this. Kind of the most public thing that I do is communicate. And I'm going to be honest in terms of like compliments to criticism. It's probably like a thousand to one. I get a thousand more like great jobs, amazing, da 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 compared to criticisms. I don't remember every single compliment, but I remember every single criticism. You guys know what I'm saying? I don't remember all the good stuff, and there's been some good stuff. I'm so thankful I, I'm in a church that is just so encouraging and, 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 and love. I, I don't remember that stuff. What I remember 
<laughs> is the not so good stuff. And there's something about our brains that, that just works this way where we can forget all of the good things, but it is those, those bad things, those bad memories, those hurts, those offenses that begin to lodge inside of our hearts. And so the reason that my life must be marked with forgiveness is because offense has this way of setting up in my heart and building a camp. And he's bringing people in and feeding, and it's just, it's just building, it's like a, it's a really good camp. Like he's recruiting and so listen to this. If I am not active in forgiveness, this is the last thing to understand if bitterness is inside of you. If you are not active in forgiveness, I can guarantee you there's some bitterness in you. Because forgiveness is not easy, nor is it a one-time thing. So my point is, I think we all fall into bitterness in some sense. And so we need to learn how to forgive. So I'm going to give us three things. I gave us three signs of a bitter heart. Here are three ways that we can forgive. You guys ready? We're going to be Matthew 18 for this whole thing. This is an exchange between Peter and Jesus. Peter came to Jesus. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you need to understand something here because Peter thinks he's being smart. And... I want to encourage you guys, because you won't know this reading the text, but if you get yourself like a Bible with some commentary, it can fill you in. It's a, it's a great investment. But at the time, there was these guys called rabbis, and rabbis were like the, the, the pastors at the time, kind of the religious dudes. And they had this idea that to forgive someone, um, the maximum times that you're supposed to forgive is three. Three times, and then you're off the hook. And so when Peter comes to Jesus... He thinks he's being smart because he's just doubled what the rabbis say that you're supposed to do. And so he's like, Lord, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? Kind of like nudging Peter, not John and James, like seven. That's double. Jesus replies, and he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, the number seven is very symbolic in, in scripture. Again, it's the number of completion. But when Jesus says not seven times, but 77 times, he's not answering him literally. What he's saying is figuratively, there is no amount of times that you should ever stop forgiving. Not seven times, but an indefinite amount of times. So what Jesus does, and this is kind of what he always does, is he raises the bar. So, how do I forgive, pastor? I don't want to live in bitterness. First thing is this. Forgiveness is constant and continual. Forgiveness is constant and continual. Understand this. Forgiveness knows no bounds. How do I forgive? What does it look like to be like Jesus? I forgive people, get this, all the time. Harrison, any exceptions? Nope. I forgive all the time. But when I say constant and continual, I want us to understand something. And I think this is so huge when it comes to forgiveness and specifically forgiving people. I'll tell you guys a surefire way to never forgive someone. Can I tell you? This is a secret, surefire way to never forgive someone and to live with bitterness. Forgive someone once. 
Just do it once. Because a lot of us is like, Pastor, I forgave. I said a prayer during worship one time. I let them go. I wrote a note and burned it. <laughs> I forgave, Pastor. Here is a surefire way to never forgive. Only forgive once. Because forgiveness is not a one-time process. It is a constant and continual process. Let me tell you why. Because every single offense... Whenever someone needs to be forgiven, it is because an offense has been committed. With every offense that has been made against you, there has been an act of theft. Something has been taken from you. And so what happens, especially in the large hurts of our lives, it's not one thing that's been taken. I'll give an example because I think it's probably the easiest example. Let's talk about the spouse that cheats. Because when the spouse cheats, he doesn't just take or she doesn't just take one thing. It's not like you just ruin the marriage. No. Trust has been taken. That's one thing that's been taken. If, if the marriage ends, security's been taken. Hope's been taken. My future's been taken. And, and I could keep going down the list, but what that means is that there's more than one offense. And so I need to forgive. And this is, this is a surefire way to never forgive is to do a very surface level, I forgive you. No, no, no. I need to understand what was taken from me. Then I can begin to forgive. But here's why it's constant and continual. Because maybe you go through the whole process. Like Harrison, I understood all 75 things that the last church took from me. And I forgave each one individually. Here's the thing about our hearts and how they work sometimes. Let's say it's the last church that hurts you. You'll come here one day, and I'll say something like, I think that small groups are the absolute best way to get connected to Jesus. Now, it's your last church. We'll call them Hill of the Valley's Church in Bonneville or whatever. <laughs> At your last church, your small group hurts you. And so when I say small groups are the best way to get connected to Jesus, what you hear from me is a reminder of the pain of your past. And what I want you to understand is that in that moment, you have two options. Even if you think you've forgiven, you let bitterness back in or you forgive again. And when you feel that tinge, maybe it's, it's, it's come on, I know a lot of us, it's, it's previous relationships, previous friendships. For some of us, your old partner, man, like you guys saw movies all the time. And so you can't figure out like why when Black Panther came out, why did my mood suddenly shift? It's because something inside of me is reminded of the past. I'm reminded of the previous, and so I have two options. I can let bitterness back in or I can forgive again. Why? Because forgiveness is constant and continual. You guys following what I'm saying? One of the surefire ways, you can, come on, I, don't forget this. One of the surefire ways to not forgive is to forgive someone once. Because forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It is active and it is continual. That's number one. How do I forgive? So Jesus in Matthew, he says, not seven times, 77 times. And then he tells a parable. I love Jesus because like many, he illustrates forgiveness. He says, therefore, and a parable is just like, a, it's, it's a metaphor, it's an illustration like the tortoise and the hare. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is literally like a billion dollars. Like it's an unpayable number. And so the man, verse 25, could not pay. So his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, all that he had and the payment to be made. His master's like, you can't pay it? Too bad. Servant falls on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 27, out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So again, this this is a parable and in this parable, the master is God and the servant's us. There's an unpayable debt and the master chooses to forgive And I love what it says, is the master released him and forgave the debt. So look at this. I said every single offense against us comes with some kind of a price. There's a price to pay, right? They took my security. They took my hope. They took my future. They took, some of us, like they literally took like half of what I own. Forgiveness is the decision to cancel the debt. Look at this. Forgiveness is the decision to say that which is owed to me, I will not ask for. You see, a lot of us, we frame forgiveness like this. Well, I'll forgive once they admit what they did. I'll forgive once they know how bad they hurt me. Listen, that's not forgiveness. That's called reconciliation. And I want you to understand, especially if your conflict is with two Christian people, there is a call on your life to reconcile. But the thing about reconciliation, which is different from forgiveness, reconciliation takes two parties. Forgiveness just takes one. Forgiveness just takes me. And so I forgive not because I want to be paid back, not because I'm expecting for the debt to be paid back. I'm forgiven. Because I want to release myself. Because you need to understand this. The debt that people owe you, bitterness is a heavy debt too. And you don't want to walk around with that beside you because every single person sees it. I want you to understand something. If you're struggling with bitterness, I can promise you that people in your life see it. And there's a price to pay. And so what does it look like to forgive is to say, I'm going to cancel the debt, not just against the people that offend me, but I'm not going to carry my debt any longer either because I want to be free. And what I want us to understand, especially for the big offenses in our lives, I want to ask you a simple question because I believe this to be true. Our, Our lives are filled with micro offenses, but chances are it's connected back to something bigger. Right, That's what, that, was, that was daddy issues two weeks ago, something bigger. Broken relations, something bigger, and then everyone else just kind of gets the brunt of it. But the question I want to ask is, whatever it is that is owed to you, can it actually be paid back? Can it actually be paid back? Can years lost be paid back? No. Listen, Can trust be rebuilt? You see, think about trust when it's broken. You really have two options. It's not about rebuilding. 
There's a process of work. But when trust is broken, your option is simply this. Am I going to choose to trust again or am I not? Because we use the word rebuild. No, no, it's am I going to choose to trust again or am I not? And the only way to do that is to cancel the debt. And that's what forgiveness is. It is, is, the, is the decision to cancel a debt that, listen to this, can't actually be paid back. It can't actually get paid back. And so pure and true forgiveness is to find, listen to this, the person that hurt us, understand what was taken from us, and cancel the debt. Listen, for some of us, our offense is actually against God. Now I want you to understand, God does not, cannot, will not transgress us. He will not and cannot sin against us, but that doesn't mean that we don't feel like he sinned against us. And so for some of us, we actually have to go to God and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna choose to forgive the bitterness that I've harbored against you because my life doesn't look the way I want it to look. Because my plans have not gone according to, to the way I want them to go. And the debt I have to cancel is sometimes my own expectations. I say, God, not my way, but your way. Forgiveness is a decision to cancel the debt. Let it go. So number three, we're gonna get there. Matthew 18, again, this servant has been forgiven. Verse 28, it says, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii is literally like one 600,000th of what was owed that he owed to the master. It was peanuts. He found someone that owed him 100 denarii, and he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But look at this. He refused and he went to put the person in prison until he should pay the debt. But when his fellow servants saw that it, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that was taking place. The master summoned him, and he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? Look at this. In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. Parable finishes. Jesus says this. He says, so my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, a lot of us, when we view situations of forgiveness, we view them through the lens of what was done to me. I can't believe someone would do this to me. How could this person hurt me? How could they betray me? How could they cheat me? But what we see in this parable and this, this wild, it's a hyperbole. That's, what Jesus, that's why Jesus is doing it. He's telling a hyperbole. He wants us to understand that when we're viewing our lives simply by what was done to us, we're missing the bigger picture of what Jesus has done for us. And so here's the last thing. How do we forgive? Forgiveness is framing my life not by what was done to me, but by what Jesus did for me. Forgiveness, come on somebody, is not, what was, is not about framing it by what was done to me, but by what Jesus did for me. I want you to understand something, church, because this is vital, because I believe that forgiveness is a divine act. It is a holy act. It is a miraculous act. You are saying to yourself, Harrison, you don't know what was done to me 
Listen, I sympathize. I am sorry you didn't deserve that, but I want to free you from the prison that you have been living in. And the only way to do it is to stop framing your life around what was done to you and understand what Jesus did for you. Because the Bible lets us know, we sang the song, Calvary is a hill that Jesus climbed and he hung on a cross. And the reason he hung on a cross, the reason that he had to die a sinner's death, death is because the Bible lets us know in that moment he was carrying literally all of the sin, all of the shame of all of humanity on his back. And so listen to this. I know for some of us in this room, it's hard to forgive. But Jesus forgave you first. And you and I, we all have moments. You and I have all done things that we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of, that if anyone found out we did that, like I, would, I could never show my face again. I want you to understand something. In Jesus, it's been forgiven. In Christ, the debt has been paid. And so when I begin to frame my forgiveness, when I begin to frame what I have to do, I stop thinking about what was done to me and I cast my mind to the cross and I understand what was done for me. Where Jesus, the one who was sinless, the one who owed no one nothing, he took my debt and he canceled it. And so the reason I forgive is because Jesus first forgave me. The reason I can forgive is because I'm forgiven. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Come on, somebody. The reason I forgive is because I'm first forgiven. The reason I let go is because Jesus made a way in my life where there was no way. Jesus found me and he found you. And when he found us, we didn't look so good. We didn't have it all together. We were naked, we were ashamed. But he said, come to me, son, come to me, daughter. The debt has been paid. Praise be to Jesus, the one who has forgiven our sins so we can begin to forgive. Thank you for listening to the message. We hope it blessed you and that you're encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.